Yes, let's give it up for the band leading us in worship. The brave souls that ventured out with your life in your hands in these lethal conditions. Uh, man, all the Midwestern and Northerners are like laughing at us this morning. That's, that's what's going down. Um, I also want to thank all of our online people. Um, I want you guys to know uh, that this is uh, Tim Unplugged because... Um, I feel like I'm almost cheating. There's only one service. So I don't have to care about time. I just want y'all to know that. So, so that's a preacher without any time constraints. And so I'm going to indulge a little bit this morning. And I hope that you will allow me. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. If you didn't know and you're a guest for the first time, today we're starting a marriage series called All You Need Is Love. Uh, the Beatles were going to make an appearance, but due to inclement weather, they are rescheduled uh, for next week. So that'll be a, a tasty treat for all of us with a complete horn section. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Um, and so when we're thinking about all you need is love, clearly as we unfold this series, it's going to be a love that is not the type of love that we might have grown up with. Maybe not a, a love that's portrayed in movies, but a love that we know only comes from God. And if you don't have the love of God in your relationship, if he's not the centerpiece of your marriage, then I can tell you where I would start if you're trying to get it back to where it used to be or maybe where it never was. And so um, as we lay the foundation this morning, I'm going to be talking about uh, the concept of selfless versus selfish, okay? Selfless versus selfish. And you could even say, if you're selfish, that you're helpless. And we're going to find a story in the Old Testament, and you're going to say to yourself, like, is that, how is that about marriage? Oh, contraire, mon frere, the pastor can find it. Oh, you can find it if you look closely, and we will get there in just a moment. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question to start off, just get you thinking for just a moment. And I think that the roads in many people's eyes would be an example of this. Have you ever had a season or a situation where you felt like you weren't going to make it to the next destination? You ever, like, you ever got to the place with your gas tank? Has anybody ever been there where it's like, it's like you know, like you, now they have like little, little digital. It used to be back in the day a guessing game. It's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But now it's like 0 0.4, 0 0.3, 0 0.2. And it, like you see that little thing go creeping down and, and you kind of know like, oh gosh, I might not make it to the next gas station. And the same way in marriage, a lot of times I think we go through seasons and everyone goes through seasons where you might have a season where it dips down and you start asking yourself in the tough, tough moments, am I going to make it to the next season? Am I going to make it to the next anniversary? Am I going to make it through this next year? Am I going to make it through this financial downturn? Am I going to make it um, through uh, maybe an unexpected decision where a spouse uh, was uh, unfaithful. It could be so many things uh, that could put jeopardy in a relationship. And so as we start to think about that, I'll, <clears throat> I'll tell you one time I was uh, body surfing slash boogie boarding with the kids um, over in uh, this place in Mexico. It's, uh, it's called Extapa. And it's it very violent waves. And um, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I did have some experience, just enough experience. By the way, anybody else 
have just enough experience that you could get yourself in trouble. I think it's like inexperience is like one thing where you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to go out there. But just enough experience allows you to go, oh, I can do that. And so uh, we, were, we were riding these waves, and it was a black flag, which was clearly their way of saying, don't go out there. Um, but me and the born bros were, were definitely up for catching these waves. I was slightly concerned about my children, uh, some of which were really young at that point. But dad was going to show them how to do it. And so um, I remember I caught this wave and and um, when I say that I'd ridden waves other places, you know, um, I never got to like where I felt like I was on top of a wave, you know, like it lifted me and I felt like I was awesome. I don't know, it was like a couple of seconds, maybe five seconds. And then that, I didn't know you could fall essentially off of a wave if I got to the top of it and, and then it like slammed me down and then like rolled me. And then I started breathing water. Have you ever tried to do that, anyone? It is not a pleasant experience. Salt water on top of that. I came out of the water. I'm literally choking. It's coming out every orifice and I gave myself a timeout. I did. I literally like grabbed my board. I went and sat on the beach for a while and I literally think I almost died as a result of that moment. I li- while I was down there, however brief it was, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, I, am I gonna, is this how it ends? Is this how it ends? Black flag, Estapa, overestimated yourself. What are you doing, man? And so I thought, What a perfect picture of how I think marriage is. I think oftentimes it's going along, it's going great. We've got some experience under our belt and we catch a wave. And when we're on top of that wave, what does it feel like? It's like, oh, this is awesome. And then what happens? (laughs) Life. Life happens, like wham! And then like you go under, you're like, like, I didn't know they were gonna talk. I didn't know they were gonna be that mean. I didn't know they were gonna like be stoic for the rest of their life. I thought, oh, I like strong and silent, but no, I don't want silent forever. And you know, it's weird how as we get into relationships, the things that we love becomes the things that we hate, you know? And so as you're coming in here this morning, I don't know if anyone's drowning. I don't know if you're having any difficulty, but if you're not, one thing is certain, you will. And I hope that we can give you some principles that if properly applied will help you get through that season so that you can catch the next wave because you can experience what God's best is for you. First two principles I'm going to give you before we get to the text is God's way works and God's word is final. God's way, is it simple? God's way works and God's word is final. If you could just settle this in your mind. If you could just, right now, just settle it as a couple. You could just look at each other and you could just say, God's way works and God's word is final. I promise there is no problem that we could not solve with these two. I could just tell you this, and any problem that you ever brought to a counselor, anything that might ever come up in your relationship, if you would just say, okay, we know for a fact that God's way works. Now the question becomes, is God's word final in our lives? And I think that if you could settle it, if you could come to the place where you are willing to surrender to it, if in your marriage you would be willing to sacrifice for it, then I can guarantee you that you could get to the other side. You could get through the down season if you would surrender to these two concepts. Number one, we know 
that God's will is undefeated and God's word is undisputed. So whenever we think about God, his will has never lost. His word has never been proven wrong. It stood up under the, the anvil of great atheists that have tried to discount it. And so if God's word is supreme, then why aren't we looking for his principles whenever we are encountering problems? I think, I think so many of us just kind of go with what we feel. And man, your feelings, which we'll get into later in the series, are, are tainted by selfishness. Our sin nature that you were born with is this prone nature towards selfish thoughts, selfish um, emotions, selfish actions. And so I want to encourage you today to start thinking about if you don't have God's word coming against the sin that's inside of you, you are hopelessly, inevitably going to lose. And we don't want you to lose. We want you to win. And in today's text, we're going to find a situation where there was this great drought as a result of God's people's disobedience. And there was going to be an interaction with my favorite prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah, and the widow of Zarephath. And it's going to be a very dire circumstance and a very dark circumstance. And what a way to find light in the midst of darkness. What a way to find uh, ability to have a drink of water in the midst of of a drought. And so if that might be you this morning, if you came in here, which if you came this morning, I mean, look around. I mean, this is it, okay? Then I assume that you're hungry and that you're thirsty, and I hope you're ready to have a three-course meal because I'm about to serve it. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So you're excited. I'm excited. Let's get excited. All right. First Kings chapter 17. Let's go. The Lord's message came to Elijah. So Elijah had been hanging out by a creek with a raven, bringing him food, all right? And now God is moving him toward a couple of things. He's moving him toward sustenance that somebody else is going to provide, which, uh, hello, Christian community, hello, uh, life groups, hello, serving teams, hello, coming to church where you can feed off of the worship spirit, um, and when you're down, you can lift others up. Uh, when you're up, you, or when you're up, you can lift other, others that are down. When you're down, you can be lifted up. Um, here is going to be a perfect message. And then I also want you to see that God's plan is so perfect, that the continuity of the things that are going on in this passage are incredible. And if you ever think that things are happening on accident in your life, I, I pray that you would hear this message. The, the Lord's message came to him and Elijah. He said, get up, get up. And go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory. Um, that's my message for some of you. May have sat down in whatever situation that you're in. That God may have brought you there for a little while, but he did not mean for you to stay there forever. Mm, okay. I might need a water. So I'm so excited. Yeah. It's right there at the back. All right. Get up. And go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory and live there. I have already told a widow who lives there to provide for you. Now this is very interesting because he's not literally saying that he's told her. He's saying that he's put a prompting on her heart. You can take the lid off if you don't mind. Thank you, sir. Give it up for Ben Burbrick. Oh, tasty H2O. Bobby Leboucher. Um, so... He said that he's already put it on her heart. So I want you to watch how this begins to interact, that, that God is going to put things 
on other people's hearts. And then he's going to be moving you in concert with how he's moving them. So do you see how this tango requires two? That if Elijah doesn't go, then this interaction never occurs. And then if she doesn't follow God's prompting also, then he doesn't end up getting fed. And so you need to know that. Like every day when you move and, and, and you interact, that God is putting people in your path that he's already prompted. He's already, through his spirit, prompting them. Even if they're unbelievers, prompting them for an interaction. If you've ever wondered how the amazingness of God works, that's how it works. He prompts you to do his will. And then he prompts them to do his will. And then whenever we are doing his will in concert, awesome big things happen. That's not even a sermon, but you get free stuff all day today. So verse 10, so he got up and he went to Zarephath. And when he went through the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. He called out to her, said, please give me a little H2O, a little water. Mm. A little water in a cup so I can take a drink. I mean, he's been walking for days. It's been a drought for going on three years. As she went to get it, he called out to her and said, and uh, please, could you, could you give me a piece of bread, which really was saying, go bake me some bread. Now, this is where story takes a turn. And if you've been married for very long, you'll know that sometimes... It's not the first thing you ask for, but sometimes it's the second thing. Maybe it's, the, it's that final straw. Has anybody ever been there? Like, you know, you, you ask one too far or you, you, you didn't pay attention one too many. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And there's like that proverbial like mark. Okay, well, you're getting ready to see it very clearly. So she responds, as certainly as the Lord, your God, okay, so she technically is a Gentile, as certainly as the Lord, your God lives, I have no food. I have no food, okay, guy? I don't know who you are walking up in here, except for a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I got a jar and a jug. I got a little bit left. Right now I'm gathering a couple of sticks for a fire. Then I'm going to go home and I'm going to make one final meal. And then me and my son, we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. You want to know how my day's going? Have you ever been that person, right? You're like, how's it going? And someone actually told you? And, wow. You were just like, man, I was just going to settle for the, yeah, I'm good. You're good. Okay, let's go on about our business. And so, man, I don't know if Elijah, even though he's a prophet, could have known what was coming right there. And so I want to dig into this pretty deep. And first point here is when you're on the brink, you better think before you act. All right, man, when you're on the brink, when emotions are high, boy, you better think before you act. Don't you think that most of us, when emotions get high, when desperation begins to get up there, do you, do you let's be honest, do you get more rational or do you get irrational? Has anybody ever like had an out-of-body experience where you were saying things that were completely irrational and yourself was watching you say these things outside of your body and yourself outside of you was saying to you, stop talking, stop saying it, 
calm down. But like your self that was talking could not stop. Does anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? We all have an irrational person in there. And some of us are one question away from it coming out. Wow. If you're on the brink, please hear me. Through 20, going on 24 years of marriage, man, if you could, the proverbial take a breath. If you could take a break, whenever you feel the tensions start rising, if you're in an emotional household and you walk in and it feels like emotional grenades are being thrown all around you, that is not the time to engage. That is not, I repeat, that is not, you need to look for like a little space of peace. You know, you need to look for, you know, something encouraging. You need to look for something to do. A lot of times you start doing something. You're like, what do I do? Should I, no, just start doing something. You know, just start cleaning up something. It doesn't even matter. Just, just look like you want to help, all right? And so uh, don't engage at you know, emotional, volatile levels because I, I don't think that most people come to <clears throat> great resolution. And this is going to, again, we don't have time for everything today, but you will see in personality conflicts, usually you'll have someone that is a, we're going to talk this out right now. Anybody? Okay. And then you're going to have someone, well, I need time to think about it. Well, let's think about selfish, selfless, selfish, selfless, okay? Should you want to talk about it? Yes. Could you use a bullying tactic of saying you're going to talk about it before you're ready to try to make them do something that you want them to do? Yeah. So that could turn into selfish. And then like a person that's like, well, I just need my space. I need time to talk about it. Okay. But like that time isn't forever. <laughs> Sometimes I think people say I want my space because they hope that it's forgotten and we just move on. We don't want to really deal with it. Oh, all your little strategies laid bare with Pastor Tim in the marriage series. So it could be that you truly want peace and you want space, but it could be that you're trying to control. You're trying to control. And so, gosh, either way, it could be selfless, but it could be selfish. So when you're on the brink, you'd better think before you act. You'll notice that the water, the water didn't bother her. Did you notice that? He's like, hey, could you give me a drink of water? She's like, sure, I'll be right back. And it's like, it's like that trailing off comment as she's going. Like, hey, um, could you give me some bread while you're in there? And like that drew the, the pivot. Has anybody, anybody ever see that? It's like, you're walking at this. Sometimes my children, I feel like they have brain damage because... You can clearly tell when it's a time not to do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And like from a distance, it's like save them or save yourself. You know, it's 50-50 sometimes. But you like, as soon as they say it, you know. Like I remember one time I did one of those things in my house. And my children all looked at me like, I was like, I, I mean, I knew. I knew right then. I shouldn't have said that. I know y'all want to know what it was, but I can't, <laughs> I can't say it. Probably involved family. Anyway, doesn't matter. So, 
I found that we must find the right questions in order to find the right answers. When he asked her for the water, he didn't get the truth. When he asked her for the bread, he got the truth. We all have a poker face whenever the questions begin. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, doing great. How's it going? Yeah, kids great. Yeah, money's good. Yeah, job good. And then like you probe just a little bit, right? You poke just a little bit. And you ask those harder questions. And man, I think that most of us just, I think in this climate, one, two layers deep. And we're on the couch crying. I don't think many of us are very far from that just depending on which area we want to slice and dice. And it's okay. It's okay to have areas that were vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not strong because you've devoid yourself of emotion. That doesn't make you strong. But we can't be controlled by our emotions either. And so sometimes I find you've got to ask the right questions. The question might not be, how are you doing? The question might be, you know, how, how's your marriage? How are you kids? How's your passion? How's your relationship with God? I think you get into those questions and all, man, all of a sudden things start bubbling up to the surface. I encourage you in your marriages. Many people have a really hard time getting to the place where they're asking the right questions. I think when we focus on overt behavior and we don't go down to the motive and the root and the catalyst, then I think we aren't likely to ever get to transformation. So I think we need to learn to ask better questions if we want to get to really good answers. The food question, and it broke her. And a flood came forth. I wanted to ask you guys a question in relationship to this. Do you think God ever ask us questions to reveal our reality while simultaneously opening doors of opportunity to offset the area of lack in our lives. You see this? It's like, hey, can I get a glass of water? Yeah, I can get you a glass of water. I can go get that. But then he says, well, can you give me some food? What was her area of lack? What was her area that she was deficient in? Her resources were limited. As a matter of fact, her resources were at the end, and, and then that explodes and reveals her reality. Her reality is she's in a desperate moment. She's in a desperate situation. At the same time, he's trying to reveal and open a door of opportunity to meet the need that he already knows that she has. So when God asks these questions, He's trying to get you to see where you're at. He's trying to get you to see the reality of your situation. That's why when you walk into church, that's why it's good. It's when, when preachers preach God's word, you begin to ask yourself, what is, my rea- what is the reality of my, what is, what is the desperateness of my moment and my situation? But it's never to drive you into the ground. It's never to like pound on you and say, you're terrible. Your marriage is terrible. That means you're a failure in life. No, it's, it's reveal the reality so that we can move towards the opportunity. God never shares a reality without an opportunity. Think about that for just a moment. I wanted you to hear some of the questions that Jesus asked while he was on the earth. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Who of you by worrying 
can add a single hour to his life. Why do you worry about clothes? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Why are you so afraid? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? In each one of these questions, he's revealing someone's reality, simultaneously pushing them towards a transformed behavior. If we only love our spouse when they're lovable, what reward is there for you? Isn't the whole trick to love each other when we're unlovable and then to push each other towards God's version of, of a best marriage? To pray for each other toward God's version of a best marriage? If you thought that you were going to get married and everything was going to be happily ever after, you woke up to a nightmare. That's just not reality. When two people come together and we're going to cover the sacred circle in a sermon in the future, it's a collision of two worlds. And man, we are going to be on the brink. Listen to what she says. She says, I don't have anything except for this little bit. We're down to our last little bit. Now, I find it interesting always the psychology of statements because she says, when he says, can you give me a piece of bread? She goes, I don't have anything except this, except this one little piece of bread. Do you ever think that whenever you're on the brink and your emotions are out of control, that you exaggerate, and your exaggeration is actually not stating the positive, that it tends to dwell in the negative. Has anybody ever, <laughs> is everybody, like, she's like, I don't have anything. Well, I have this one little thing. And it's amazing that when you're focused on all the things that you don't have, that God is always focused on the one thing that you do have, and he can always take the one thing that you do have, and if you were willing to put it into his hands, that he can bless it, and he can say that little bit that you do have left, that I can make something great out of that. Like, I could create something with that. If you would just trust me with the last little bit, and there's someone sitting in here today, and you're on your last little bit. You're on your last little bit of patience. You're on your last little bit of passion. You're on your last little bit of forgiveness. You're on your last little bit of compassion. You're on your last little bit of mercy. You're on your last little bit of, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. When you get to your last little bit, if you aren't careful, you'll start focusing and you'll say it's over. When in reality, you have that little bit left, that little thread that's still holding you together. And wouldn't it be amazing to realize the truth of this passage, that if you would take that last little bit and instead of, watch out, she almost wanted to consume it. Did you see that? Did anybody else see that? What was she going to do with the last little bit? She was going to go cook it and eat it and then what? If you're sitting here and you're on your last little bit and you decide you're going to consume it for yourself, 
That's where you have to make this choice between selfish and selfless. If you consume that last little bit, guess what's going to happen? You're going to die. Marriages are going to die. Man, we got to learn to take the little bit that we have left and finally put it into God's hands. Notice the timing. He didn't come. The man of God didn't show up. Whenever she had three meals left, he didn't show up. When she had two meals left, when did God show up? <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Like God is never late, but I hate it to tell you, he is seldom early. He is always right on time. Isn't that amazing? It's like, it's like, you know, some of us that are like planners, you're like, God, could you just show up 10 minutes? And like, no. He's like, I'm going to be right on time. I'm not going to be late. You're not going to die. But I might let you get to the end of yourself so that you could realize that you need supernatural provision that is beyond your capacity to expand what you have and turn it into something that is going to last forever. And the church said, amen. That's where you get excited. Yes, 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 man. I want to preach today. I'm not even close to done. Y'all can, can be excited about that. There's a better way. God's way works when we obey his word. If God's word is supreme and it's the final authority in our life and God's way always works, then you could take these two pillars as this woman is getting ready to be pushed into. He said, you know what? I know that you're desperate. I know you're on the brink. I know you're about to sink. But if you would give me the little bit that you have left, let's see what we could do. Look at this next verse. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Man, I know. I know some of you are sitting in here. And it could be marriage. It could be many things. I could tell you a place to find courage. It's not bravado. It's an inner strength. He said to her, don't be afraid. Go do as you planned. All right, what was she planning on doing? She was going to make her last meal, right? Oh, go do as you planned. But first, make a small cake for me and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. Selfish, selfless, selfish, selfless. Now, from a secular point of view, this sounds selfish on Elijah's part. Would anybody agree with me? Like if you were watching this conversation, you'd be like, how dare you, sir? How dare you that you would take from this widowed woman and her last son, their last crumb, and rip it from their mouths. Jerk. Right? 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 I, see, I get it. I get it. I see it. I see it. If there wasn't something bigger at stake, then it would be selfish. But I think the opposite is actually in play here. He said, he said if you consume it, then that's going to be it. He said, but first, and now we're going to see God's priority pyramid, okay? He said, first, first make mine. Now, now look, if she only had enough for her son and her, and then she's going to die, how in the world is she going to make enough for Elijah also? Do you see? Do you see? Like, there's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. In your realm, in your love, 
in your patience, in your forgiveness, in your way of doing, there's not enough. There's not enough. And you're sitting there saying, but, but if, I, if I give that to God, then, then I've got to eat my last meal. Okay, if you've got enough for one more meal, then you're going to eat it and you're going to die. But what if you just took a chance on God today? What if you just finally took a chance? and Okay, first. I'm going to put God first. Put the pyramid on the screen. God, spouse, everything else. This plan will work for the rest of your life. You say, well, Tim, where does the job and the, the kids and the... Blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Listen. Put God first, your spouse second, and then everything else. You say, well, how do I... It'll sort itself out. It will, if you get the first two right, everything else will sort itself out. Here he says to her, first, take care of God's desire for your life. He is representing God. First give to God and then prepare for yourself. What a picture. You know, Matthew 6, my life first says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Do you know why you fear? Because you are trying to do it on your own. If you would first trust God, he says, let me worry about the rest. Isn't that amazing? That if you would just try, he said, I will worry about all the rest. Jeremiah said it like this. He said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'm always troubled by someone who says they've been looking for God, but they haven't been able to find him yet. Because according to Jeremiah, I know the problem is that there's part of you that you're not seeking God with. And we want to seek God in the areas that we want blessings usually. We usually want to ignore God when it comes to sacrifice. If you're giving to God, that means that he's in control. That he's in charge of your life. And that you're living out his will and his word. Spouse second and everything else will work. We come to the conclusion of the story. How did she respond? For this is what the Lord God of Israel has said. The jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. So she went and did exactly what Elijah told her. She put God first. There was always enough food for Elijah and for her and her family. The jar of flour was never empty and the jug of oil never ran out in keeping with the Lord's message that he had spoken through Elijah, limitless through the drought. We're going to go through these seasons of drought, and it could be your fault. It could be the fault of others. It doesn't really matter. There's evil in this world. There's sin in this world, and as a result of sin, bad things happen. We go through droughts. This woman was a Gentile, and she was experiencing a drought, not because of what the Gentiles were doing. She was experiencing a drought because of what the Christians were doing. Now, I'll just get on my soapbox for just a second. If you want to know what's wrong with America, quit pointing at the atheists. Quit pointing at the unbelievers. I'll tell you what's wrong with America. It's the church, the weak watered down, lack of faith, not obeying God's will and not trusting in God's word is final. I don't know how many Christians that say that they have an opinion when it's an obvious uh, contradiction against God's word. I mean, you can't hold that opinion. If it comes down to God's word or your opinion, give way to God's word. If you want revival in America, then we have to say it's God's way, not my way. It's God's word, not my way. Okay, I got that off my chest. Got that off my chest. 
Wouldn't it be great if every marriage, every person growing up in a household where God is not the center point, every kid that's growing up in a household where God is not there, what if I told you there's a way you can be limitless even when there's a drought around you? That if you put God first, you can know that you're going to make it through this season. You're going to see the rain come. That the jar and the jug are not going to run out. You say, Tim, how, how do I know. I know. How is it possible? How does it work? I know. I know. I know. The only thing about faith is at some point you've got to take a step. Right? Yeah, that's the way faith works. You've got to say, at some point, my faith is going to put God first. And when my faith puts God first, I'm going to stand on his word. And I'm going to stand on his will that he has promised and that he will deliver. And I can tell you that I now have 33 years of experience since I was raised in an ungodly, unchristian household that doesn't resemble anything like the kind of marriage that I'm going to preach about. And how did I find God in the midst of all that darkness? Well, he prompted my heart. And he prompted a pastor. And when our hearts met, he shared the gospel. I received Christ. And even though I was living in darkness and living in drought, I now had a light. A light that was unaffected by the circumstances around me. When you have faith and you put God first, you'll learn that the circumstances do not matter because God does not change. God is not limited. God does not have a shortness in his supply. So if you want to know how you'll wake up tomorrow and not be afraid, it's because God's going to give you strength. If you want to know how the finances are going to work, it's because God's going to give you discipline. God's going to give you blessings. If you want to know how the marriage is going to get put back together, it's because you're going to die. You're going to die to yourself. And then Christ is going to rise, rise inside of you. That resurrection, if both of you will die to self, I pro there's not a marriage that can't be put back together. I could give you all the self-help in the world, but at the end of the day, it's you dying to who you are and being the Jesus that you need to be. And everybody can fall in love when Jesus is the centerpiece. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that we would all claim God's way works and his word is final. That every marriage that is represented in here today would choose God. Number one, that they would squeeze the hand of their spouse right now. Put their arm around them and say, we're going to do this God's way. We're going, to do this. we're going to take the last little bit we have and we're going to put it in God's hands. Whether that's in our faith, whether that's in our finances, whether that's in our family, God, you are going to be number one. Would you guys stand with us at this time? We're going to have a time of reflection. We're going to sing graves into gardens. Man, are you guys ready for this? This is it. There ain't a second service. This is it. All right.